It's interesting, isn't it? Coretta started by that reading by trying to give us a bit of context. Because context matters. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're maybe a bit fed up with Charlie and I harping on about how important context is uh, when, we, when we come to hear uh, and understand and wrestle with, with the text of the Bible. Uh, I was thinking about that this week. It's, it's the second sermon in, 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 in a row where I've had to preach on somebody else's sermon. Uh, last time I preached, I was talking about Peter's, Peter's sermon in Acts 2, and now I'm talking about Peter's sermon in, in Acts 3. Uh, but instead of thinking about context particularly, I, I ended up thinking about location. Uh, it may be just the same word for, for the same thing, but a different word for the same thing, but began thinking about location. You see, this story has a, again, as Critter reminds us, a particular location. We're in, uh, well, the verse 11 says we're in Solomon's portico. A particular place with a particular series of events that have happened. Uh, the healing of a blind man, uh, which Peter is trying to make sense of and explain to the people what is going on. And as he preaches, he, he takes his people to another place, if you like, to another location. And we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. He says that in order to understand what's going on here, we need to move somewhere else. And thirdly, there's this dynamic going on between Peter and his congregation that, that affect what he says. Uh, so it's another, another location. So, so it gets a bit like this. Location, location, location. Eat your hearts out, Phil and Kirsty, for anyone who watches that, that TV show. Uh, so we begin in Solomon's portico, uh, verse 11. Uh, mentioned this was going, this is where it was going on. Last week we were in the beautiful gate, or yeah, we were in, or two weeks ago. No, last week it was last week. We were in the beautiful gate at the entrance to the temple, uh, where Peter and John healed this blind man. And now we've moved further into the temple complex, and this man is dancing around and singing and praising God, and and so excited. And there's there's quite a buzz about the place as. News of this miraculous healing is spreading throughout the temple. The first century uh, equivalent of Twitter or Instagram or, or whatever it is, uh, is, is already working overtime with the hashtag healing. And people are wondering what's going on. Somewhat conveniently, there maybe even TV reporters who just happen to be doing the story locally and they're here uh, covering, covering events Everyone wants to know how Peter and John did it. How did you do that? What is, what is going on? And so Peter shushes the crowd and, and begins to speak. Why do you stare at us, he says, as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. It's a bit like, it's slightly different, but it's a bit like, imagine you're at home, you're in the kitchen, and suddenly there is an enormous crash in the lounge. And you rush to the lounge, and when you get there, you find your favorite vase on the floor in pieces. So you glare at your five-year-old son who utters the immortal words, wasn't me. 
It wasn't us, said Peter and John. It wasn't us. Look at, look at God. It, this, is, this, is, this is all about God. It's not about mere human beings. But more than that, this was Jesus. The Jesus who you killed, but God raised from the dead. And suddenly, Peter is taking us from, from there in the temple, from, from Solomon's portico, taking us right slap bang in the middle of the Easter story. That's our second location, Easter. <coughs> to keep the hashtag death and resurrection. Uh, and he says this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. As Christians, the key defining location in in all of our lives is Easter and our memory of Easter. That's why we celebrate communion so often, because it takes us back to Easter, back to those events which are the bedrock of our faith. If you like, these are the events that define who we are as God's people. Maybe we could go so, so further and say these are, the divine, these are the events that define God. This is where God is most fully revealed in the world. And this is the central moment in God's saving action in the world. We remember it in bread and wine, death and resurrection. Are you okay if I have a slight rant? <laughs> not, about, not about you, don't worry. Uh, I, I, try, I try not to rant too often, but, but occasionally I can't help myself. Uh, I know many of you have got teenagers, and uh, I guess like my son, they've, they've studied RE. Uh, now in RE, when they talk about God, and when they teach about God, they begin with words like omniscience and omnipotence. And omnipresent and all those other long, complicated words that that nobody can quite remember which one's which and what what they mean. Uh, They start by saying that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present. But that is not the right place to start. That's precisely the wrong place to start in understanding what God is like. The place to start in describing God is Easter. Easter. in the murder and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how God is known among us, that he gave his life for us and that he was raised triumphant over sin and death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to talk about God, we don't begin with the national curriculum does with propositions about God that, to be honest, can make God sound a bit distant and a bit other. 
we begin with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is how we begin to make sense of God and what God is like and who God is and how God is to be known. Everything, in a sense, needs to be read through this Easter story. And when we stop doing that, we get into trouble and we end up going in wrong directions. That wasn't too bad a rant, was it? Rand over. Noah's, Noah's used to me when, he, when he's doing, doing RE and I'm saying, I wouldn't do it like that. <laughs> Don't have a dad who's a preacher when you're trying to study RE. Uh, but it really gets to me when we talk about God in terms of propositions, when we start in the wrong place, because I think it leads us to wrong understandings. Why we, as I said, we come back to communion that keeps pulling us back again and again and again to Easter and to what God has done for us. Anyway, back to these words. Coretta made it clear when she read, but do you notice all the you's? You handed him over, you disowned him, you disowned the Holy Righteous One, you killed the author of life, he says. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? It may sound a bit harsh. Uh, but it struck me that as, as Peter looks round, he's in the temple. As he looks round, he sees some faces he recognises. Some of those who are maybe involved in the Jewish hierarchy. Some of those who participated in the kangaroo court that tried Jesus. I'm sure he was aware that some in the audience would have been in what I guess we might describe as the brain mob who called for Jesus' death. To use a modern phrase, we might say that Jesus' death was the will of the people. The people that stood now in front of Jesus, the faithful ones, the faithful Jews. And so as Peter looks around, he looks his congregations in the eye and he says, this is on you. This is on you. And of course, that historically, that's right. That's what happened when confronted with God's Messiah. The Jews and the Romans got together and did what humanity so often does. They chose death. They chose violence. They chose to make an example of this one man. But of course, whatever happened historically... The truth is that you, that me, that all of us are in, in a sense implicated in Jesus' death. Every time we turn away from Jesus, every time we reject him, every time we turn towards sin, every time we get caught up in that dynamic of, of sin and death, we're in a sense implicated in Jesus' death. So maybe it's on us too. Which leads me to our third uh, location, the family argument. I struggled to find a picture I liked for this one. I, I couldn't find anything. Uh, and so I ended up with Beaker and a mechanical boxing rabbit. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but... <laughs> Some of you are looking very quizzical at that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> one of the things we often miss when we're looking at a passage like this is that idea that actually we're overlooking on a family argument. Peter is speaking as a faithful Jew 
Remember, Charlie was talking about a bit of that last week. Jesus is talking as a faithful Jew to other Jews. This is an in-house disagreement, if you like. It's taking place in the temple. It's where the Jews would gather. It's where Peter and John went weekly, if not daily, to pray. It's where the faithful gathered. And I guess it's a, it's a debate going on in these verses about what it means to be a faithful Jew. What it means to be part of the true Israel, if you like. For Peter, that is now defined in Jesus Christ. Who perfectly fulfills what God promised to Abraham, to Moses, to Samuel. There's those references in the passage, if you check. And to all the prophets. We covered this a lot, I guess, in our, in our series, looking at God's story and my story and our story. How Jesus was the fulfillment of Israel's history. But also that Jesus, in a sense, rewriting future history. What Peter warns them, what Peter wants them to get into their heads, what Peter maybe wants us to get into our heads, is that God has done something for Jesus in raising him from the dead. What he's done there, he's going to do for the whole of creation for individuals, but for the whole of creation. Verse 21 says, he will restore all things as he restored Jesus Christ to life from death. He will restore all things. And the healing of this blind man is a sign of that. God putting everything right. The man got healed for goodness sake. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead had transformed that man. It's a resurrection story. A story of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. This is what it's like when God's kingdom comes. People are restored, people are made new, people are given new life. It's a miniature of what God is doing in all creation. a sign of what God is going to do. And are you in or out, Peter wants to say to them? Are you going to catch hold of this? Are you going to go with this Jesus or are you actually going to turn your back on him? Are you in or are you out? You really don't want to miss out, he says. You don't want to miss out on all that God is doing. You don't want to miss out that everything that has led you you to this point. So are you with me? Are you with Jesus? Or are you not? So location... Location, location. But actually, there's one more location to come. Recognize that? It's us. It's church. What has all of this to do with with us? This thing that happened 2,000 years ago. This very Jewish argument. What has it got to... Do with us. Well, let's go back to that verse. Repent then, he says, 
and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing, that time when God puts everything right. That time when God restores and heals and renews and refreshes and gives a fresh start. So that word, repent. Nowadays, when I hear that word, I think of something like this. <laughs> this was the, just about the first image that came up on Google. I'm not even going to repeat it. Repent there in the middle. Repent. Uh, I don't... I guess most of us don't find that image very helpful these days. If it, if it was ever helpful. Uh, and it's easy then to throw the baby out with the bathwater and to think, well, that word doesn't matter anymore. It's one of those religious words that actually we've moved beyond. Uh, but let's not forget that Peter is addressing this word to God's people calling them to repent. More often than not in the Bible, when God says repent or similar words, it's addressed first and foremost to his own people. It's addressed first and foremost to Israel. It's addressed first and foremost to the church, to us. And in a sense, before we can call others to repent, we need to hear God calling us to repent, to turn around. I've mentioned this, this book before, uh, The Call to Conversion by, by a guy called Jim Wallace. I guess it's one of the three or four books that probably influenced me the most in my, in my Christian life. I discovered it when I was, I think it came out probably when I was about 20, early 20s, uh, read it and it just changed how I understood, in a sense, my faith and one of those books I keep coming back to and poking around every, every so often. Uh, been very influential. And one of the things that Wallace does in this book is he, he points out how conversion and repentance are, are locked together, as it were. Uh, they share the same Greek root word. They sound very similar because they come from the same word. Uh, the, wor- the word is about really turning, about turning around. Uh, it's not about feeling sorry it's not about feeling guilty or anything like that it's about changing direction about going in a different direction repentance is in effect turning away from something sin let's call that and conversion is about turning towards something turning towards God. So there's a turning away and there's a turning to. Uh, Repentance is about turning away from patterns of life that lead to death. And conversion is about turning towards God in whom there is life. But as as Wallace emphasizes, repentance is always concrete rather than vague. It's always rooted in that real life location in our everyday lives, in our everyday decisions, in our everyday priorities. Uh, So Jesus calls the publican to stop cheating. Jesus calls the rich man to turn away from his service to mammon. 
Jesus calls the conceited man to turn away from pride. Jesus calls the man who had wronged his neighbor to make good. Repentance is concrete, it's practical. And likewise, conversion. We don't just turn away from stuff, we turn towards something as well. We turn towards God. Conversion, conversion, biblically speaking, is to turn away from sin towards salvation. To turn from idols towards God. To turn from slavery to freedom. To turn from hate to grace. To turn from guilt to forgiveness. To turn from lies to truth. To turn from self to others. To turn from accumulation to giving away. To turn from selfishness to sacrifice. To turn from hardness of heart to compassion. To turn from individualism to community. To turn from me first to Jesus first. To turn from my allegiance to my agenda and my wants to allegiance to Jesus Christ. And the thing that struck me this week, or one of the things that struck me this week is, and it's true in my, my own life, that, that actually repentance is not just something we do once. It's something we need to do daily. It's part of the pattern of Christian life. That pattern of turning away from sin, from patterns of behaviors, from attitudes, from desires that are ultimately destructive. And to turn afresh to God. Day by day by day by day by day, again and again and again and again, because it's so easy to drift. And it's so easy to get caught up in stuff. And it's so easy to find ourselves going in the wrong direction again. Yes, there is an initial turning to God. Hallelujah. And if you've never made that decision, maybe today's as good a day as any. But there's a day by day by day by day decision to turn again, to turn afresh towards God. Every Wednesday morning at about nine o'clock, a number of us gather together on Zoom to pray, to pray for each other, to pray for the world, to read scripture together. Uh, for me, it's a life-giving space. And if you've, if you've never joined us, or if you used to join us and you've got the habit, you're welcome you're always welcome to join us. Uh, there's a link on the church website if you, if you would like to, to do that. But one of the things we do is we structure our prayers around the daily office of the Northumbria community. And in, it, in, there, in there, in the prayers, there is a, a kind of call and response, uh, which is structured around the words of Jesus, where he says, he says to his disciples, they're asking what the greatest commandment is. And he said, the greatest commandment is this. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You, you love God with everything you've, you've got. And the prayer goes like this. The lead says, who is it you seek? And people reply, we seek the Lord our God. Do you seek him with all your heart? Amen, Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your soul? Amen, have mercy. Mercy. Do you seek him with all your mind? Amen, Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your strength? Do 
And again, amen, Christ have mercy. For me, that, that prayer kind of becomes an invitation, an invitation every day to turn afresh to God, to turn my back on the unhealthy stuff that has accumulated and to turn to God. To say, this is what I desire this day, O Lord, that you would have mercy on me and help me to be true to these words which I speak. Kind of what repentance looks like. That turning afresh, day by day by day to God. I've drifted away. I've developed habits that are not helpful. My priorities have shifted without me even knowing it. And I need to turn back to you, oh God, today and every day. And we're going to say this prayer together in a, in a moment. But this morning, as we gather together, as, as every morning, God calls us, in a sense, to repent to be converted afresh, to turn away from sin, to turn away from those things in our lives that are, that are destructive, that are unhealthy, from the false gods that we serve, from the bad or destructive habits that we've got into, for the priorities in our life that can lead us away from God, from God who is the true source of life. So let's be quiet for a moment and think about what that invitation to repent to turn around to turn to Christ to give him your allegiance where is God challenging you this morning in the quiet what do you have to leave behind or turn away from And so the word of God comes to us this morning saying, are you with me? Will you embrace grace and faithfulness? Will you open yourselves up to the power of Easter? To forgiveness, to a fresh start. Will you let me, God says, do my stuff in your life? Starting now starting here and we respond by saying these words together so I'll say the words in the white and you reply in the yellow who is it that you seek do you seek him with all your heart do you seek him with all your soul Do you seek him with all your mind? Do you seek him with all your strength? Amen. Christ have mercy. Christ, we pray that you would truly have mercy on us. uh, And that those words will be concrete in our lives and in our actions. Lord, have your way among us. Uh, Use us for your power, for the glory, for the extension of your kingdom. Lord, and we may we know your forgiveness and your grace 
and the fellowship of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.